0: We're in the middle of a series, though, called Prepare the Way, to prepare the way for God to come into your life supernaturally, miraculously, and to change your situation. So we began teaching, and our, our master text is Matthew chapter number 3 and 3. You don't have to turn there. Matthew 3 and 3. But the end of that scripture says, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Prepare the way of the Lord, make His path straight. Now, this is a metaphor for a, uh, a custom where uh, you would go and you would send a team in front of a king, and the king would be traveling from one kingdom to another or whatever. And you would send a team in front of the king to ha- take the high parts of the road, make them low; take the low parts of the road, make them high, and get rid of all the potholes, so that you would be preparing the way for the king who's traveling in your direction. And the reason you would do that would be so that the king would get there not only on time, but that the king would. Also also get there comfortable not worried and and beat up and all these other things so for you and for me it's our responsibility no it's really our opportunity to prepare the way for god to show up supernaturally in our life we began by teaching what jesus said where he said make the tree good or make the tree evil meaning you as a christian there should be things about your life that are different than they were before you became a christian you should talk a certain way. You should walk a certain way. Now, I'm not going to give you uh, 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 the top five things that you need to say as a Christian because that's called religion. I'm telling you from the inside out, the change that God has supernaturally made in your life, you should allow that to manifest on the outside of your life, meaning somebody should know you're a Christian other than just you. You don't have uh, uh, anywhere uh, on the planet a tree that grows apples on one side and oranges on the other. That does not exist. That's why the Bible says for you to make the tree good or make the tree evil there is something about uh uh, your life where god has empowered and enabled you to determine what kind of tree you're going to be so there's things that we abstain from as christians and there's things that we do as christians one of them is on sunday mornings we all gather together because the bible says that we should not uh forbid the gathering of saints we shouldn't put it aside we should all get together and build each other up on our most holy faith we should sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron christians ought to get together that's one of the things that christians ought to do christians ought not be drunk seven days a week come on somebody you ought not be smoking a pound of dope a day and if you are listen we'll cast that thing right out of you in the name of jesus we'll say that you're not bound by anything but there's something different about a christian you shouldn't talk a certain way listen to me i'll just give you a few racism ought never be in your house it's not funny it's not a joke Racism is one of the primary tools that the devil uses to try to divide the body of Christ. Racism should never be allowed in your home, ever. Should never be discussed. There should be something different about you. Make the tree good or make the tree evil. One foot in, one foot out gets you nowhere. Get on one side of the fence or the other. The next thing we talked about was breaking our box for God. And and that was a reference to Mary who came and anointed Jesus with an alabaster box that had spikenard in it. And uh, one translation says that she broke the box and poured it all on Jesus, which is to say she didn't open the box. She didn't drill a hole in the box. She didn't pour some of it on Jesus. She took everything that she had and poured it on Christ. If you want to prepare the way for God to move in your life, you've got to get to the place where you are believing God and you are serving God with everything that you have. If you want to experience God's goodness in your life, give God everything you have. Amen. Acts chapter number 16 is where we pick up today. Uh, Acts chapter number 16. This is where Paul and his traveling buddy Silas, they're going around and they're doing what uh you would expect a, an apostle to do they're praying for the sick they're healing the sick they're seeing people saved they're baptizing people they're they're doing all the things that you would anticipate Paul and Silas to do but as they're walking they meet a lady uh whose name is Lydia and Lydia is a business owner who who handled a uh, purple linens she sold purple linens which meant she probably uh, had a like a luxury shop it wasn't just a typical uh cotton shop or something like that she probably uh, was a very influential in the town and uh Lydia Lydia talked to him and she received Jesus as her Lord and Savior. So Paul and Silas uh, baptized Lydia and the Bible says her whole family. So there's this outpouring taking place. There's a revival taking place. It's coming through Lydia's family. Uh, Lydia is a is the businesswoman, the entrepreneur, and God is is miraculously doing a work. But but while they're doing that, As Paul and Silas, after this takes place, as Paul and Silas are walking down the road, there's a lady following Paul and Silas, and she's saying all the right stuff, but she's just not all right she's saying she's like oh these guys follow them they're showing us the ways of god but the problem was this woman had a demon on the inside of her a demon of divination a, a soothsaying demon like a like a like a like a palm reader or like a like a tarot card reader all that stuff is wicked i don't know if you know but i'll just go ahead and lay it out for you there's a lot of wickedness uh that has power but it's not necessarily uh, a, a good power so uh, what happens is is this lady she's following Around and she's actually a slave. So this slave woman who can who can kind of tell the future and has a little bit of soothsaying ability is following Paul and Silas around and saying all kind of negative hurtful things. Uh, but but at the same time she's also saying things like this guy these guys are showing us how to get to God. And Paul realizes down deep. Listen, she's saying the right thing, but she's not coming from the right place. So she so Paul turns around and the Spirit of God rises up on the inside of it and he looks at this lady who's following him around and gets sick of it he says to her he says listen he said get out of her you wicked devil spirit and boom immediately the devil comes out of her and she's in her right mind now immediately there should have been an overwhelming revival breakout, but what happened was is there was two guys who owned this lady. She was a slave, and they owned her, and they used to pawn her out, and they would they would charge people for this lady to read uh, their future for, for, for this, la- this, this lady to read their future, to read their palm or whatever she was doing. So they would charge for that, so they got all bent out of shape because now their little cash cow is no longer a cash cow anymore because God's moved into the situation. She's no longer working for the devil. Now she's working for god i'll bet you a revival did start after she got out from under the thumb of those other guys because she already proved that she was brave enough to talk to people so she probably started telling listen i used to think i had power and then these men who really had power spoke to me and the devil had to leave my life and now i'm in a place where i'm filled with strength power peace of mind and all these other wonderful things but the problem was the guys who owned her realized man we're not gonna make any money anymore So they get all bent out of shape with Paul and Silas, and they decide that they're going to take Paul and Silas to the to the to the to the magistrates or the heads of the area, the judges. Like like it would be like the the justice of the peace or the mayor, that kind of stuff in those day and age. But let me just take a sidebar for just a second. Number one, this is a sermon, not a speech. So if you like something, you can say Amen or Owe me. But uh, along the way, uh, Paul and Silas they cast this devil out of this woman. But but our children have to see the power of God because the devil's trying to show his power. Isn't it interesting that nobody had a problem with the demonic power that was walking around, but everybody had a problem with God's power. If we don't teach our kids that wickedness is wickedness, who's going to teach them? Listen to me. When you're driving down the road, when those kids get old enough and you see a thing that's got a palm on it or a crystal ball or something like that, it says this, you need to make a point and tell them that is witchcraft, that is wickedness, that is anti-Christ and anti-God. It is not in line with the Scripture. The power of God is stronger than any power of the devil, so he's not he doesn't have any more power. But at the same time, if you don't teach them in the way they should go, when they get old, they won't know. So make sure and understand, uh, tarot cards, that's witchcraft. If you're looking at a deck of cards to determine what you should do with your life, listen, God didn't give you a deck of cards. He gave you some leather and paper and put a bunch of words on it and told us that it's going to give us the keys to the kingdom. God's going to give us the keys to the kingdom and we can utilize that for everything. Astrology, if you're, if you're reading, listen, if you're reading the newspaper every morning, and you're a, a, a born in a certain time, so you have a certain sign, and you're reading that, and that's determining how you live your life, that's not the will of God in any way, shape, or fashion. On the contrary, if I was going to be, you know, good friends with Luke, and I just met Luke, who does a great job for us, But if I was controlled by astrology and I found out that he is not the right sign and that that my sign and his sign are never going to get along together, so now we don't do a business deal that we would have done otherwise, but I'm controlled by this demonic ideology of astrology, now all of a sudden I'm missing out on an opportunity where God puts a divine connection in my life and I'm trusting the devil even though I don't know I'm trusting the devil. I'm trusting the devil's astrology over I'm trusting the Word of God. This is what this stuff, this is the real, this is the real deal. Hit your neighbor and say, this is the real deal today. Hit your second place neighbor and say, you're second place neighbor. Just kidding, don't do that. Astrology is of the devil. Now, God, don't you remember that, that, that whenever the wise men were coming and trying to find Jesus, how'd they get there? They got there by following a star. What the devil does is he corrupts everything that God makes perfect. God didn't say don't get drunk. He said don't get drunk with alcohol, but be drunk in the spirit. So what the devil does is he takes what God established, he perverts it, and then he tries to tell you that it's the same thing. That's why for you and me, it's very imperative that we abstain even from the appearance of evil. So if you didn't know that tarot cards and and palm reading and all that stuff is is wickedness, bless God, now you do. Verse number 20, they brought them to the magistrate. This is Paul and Silas. They brought them to the justice of the peace. They brought them to the judges. And they said this, and they, they began to uh, lie about it. And they said, these men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs that are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being as we are Romans. And the multitude rose up together against him, and the magistrates rent off their clothes. They took Paul and Silas' clothes off and commanded to beat them, meaning they ordered them to be beaten. Well, number one, Paul and Silas were falsely accused of, of stirring up trouble, but they were accurately convicted of being a Christian. I would ask you this. If you were charged in a court of law, would there be enough evidence to convict you that you are a Christian? Is there enough evidence in your life that could be brought before the court that would identify you as a follower of Christ Jesus? And if not, I would recommend making a shift because we're trying to prepare the way for God to come into our life, not to try to run the presence of God out of our life. So the magistrates, they tell them and they say, listen, take Paul and Silas' clothes off and I want you guys to beat them within an inch of their life. Well, as I scan the room this morning, I would it looks to me that uh, nobody here was stripped naked and beaten before they came into church this morning. Point number one. Stop comparing your life with somebody else's if you want to prepare the way for God. Good or bad, right or wrong, stop comparing your life with somebody else's. You see, God wants to use your life, not your life through somebody else's eyes or their life through your eyes. Paul and Silas are beaten, stripped, and then the Bible says that they are thrown. In prison. And when they laid many stripes on them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer, meaning telling the warden to keep them safely, to make absolutely sure that they are completely and totally secure. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison, made their feet fast in socks, meaning he he didn't just put them in prison, he chained them in prison. Don't compare your life with anybody else's. Do you remember Jesus whenever he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was praying, and the Bible says he prayed like this. He said, oh, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass from me. I'm not interested in getting beaten and the crown of thorns on my head and getting nailed to a tree, so let this cup pass from me if it's possible. But then he set the cup down and said, nevertheless, thy will be done. Whatever's necessary, God, I will go through even though I don't want to go through the hard stuff. You see, in your life and my life, it's easy to compare and contrast with somebody else's life. You see somebody else get blessed, and you try to figure out, why hasn't God blessed me like that? You see somebody else get healed, and you say, well, how come they they had the same thing? They got healed. I haven't been healed yet. Why? How come, God? What's the problem? How come mine's going this way and theirs going that way? Then you see somebody else who's going through something, and you decide on the inside of you, you may not ever say it, but you think it. You go, oh, they must have done something because God must be mad at them. Paul and Silas. How many times did religious people probably say that about Paul? Paul got thrown in jail all the time, but Paul did something very interesting when he went to jail. He always took a pen and a piece of paper and he started writing books of the Bible while he was there. Paul wrote 13 books of the Bible, maybe 14, depending on if he wrote Hebrews or not. Historians argue about that one. 13 books of the Bible, 13 books of the New Testament, that's about half, which is approximately 13 books more than Johnny wrote. Then you wrote, and I wrote. If we're going to compare somebody's life, maybe let's not do it with the person next to us. Let's compare our life with the people that God chose to memorialize in leather and paper so that you and I could read it some 2,000 years after it took place. Let's compare and contrast our lives with these guys who made the book, The Heroes of Our Faith. Because Paul didn't look at somebody else and say, I don't know why I still have a cold. I've been praying for two hours now. Why do I still have a cold? Paul talked like this. He said, I have been known to have a lot and I've been known to have a little. I've been known to sleep on the ground and I've been known to sleep in a bed. But in every way, in every place, I found his grace to be sufficient for me. You begin to prepare the way for God with terminology like that, your life begins to change. But if we were going to compare our life with somebody, let's compare it to Paul. Paul said it like this. He said, I'm a Hebrew. I'm an Israelite. I'm the seed of Abraham, and I'm a minister. Five times I received 39 stripes. Three times I was beaten with a rod. One time I was stoned, left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. One time I had to spend a whole day and a whole night out on the ocean floating all by myself. Didn't know what to do. I've been hungry. I've been cold i've been rich i've been poor i've been robbed i've been almost drowned in a river i've been tired i've been hungry and in all of this i always had the weight of the church of the living god on my shoulders at all times but in that moment and in that time i found that the god who created me never left me and never forsook me if we're gonna compare let's do that let's look at that for just about five minutes I'm not saying your stuff's not real stuff because I got some real stuff too. I don't want to compare stories. I'm just telling you, nobody here got beat for coming to church this morning. And if you did, see Johnny after church and he'll help you with that. But if we're going to prepare the way, we got to quit comparing. Please quit balancing your life against somebody else's because the minute we compare ourselves to ourselves, we've already lost. At midnight, the Bible says. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. And sang praises unto God. And the prisoners... Heard them. All right, so let, let's kind of get a picture of this. I, well, a preacher a really good friend of mine. Uh, he taught me this, this, this method, and and I prefer it. If you come here long, you'll kind of you'll you'll see it time and time again. I always try to paint a picture of what the scripture's saying because it's so e- it's much easier to see something. So, for instance, instead of Jesus going, "Hey guys, y'all don't have to have much faith," he'd grab a mustard seed and he'd go, "If you just have faith like this," and everybody goes, "Oh, just a little bit." Got it. So I want you to picture for a minute the inner prison. Paul and Silas, we'll say they had underwear on. We don't know if they had underwear on, but we know they were stripped, okay, just for the sake of picturing. So they're walking in, almost naked, beaten within an inch of their life because Romans were really good at beating people. Walking in. And Paul and Silas are sitting there. And I can even picture them. The jailer's going this way. Come this way. And they're probably jerking them around and moving them. And I could hear Paul saying, oh, thank you, brother. Thank you for showing me to my chair. Can I have a pen and paper? Maybe can I get a candle? This is one of those places I like to write. Is it is it okay if I just write in here? And the the jailer's saying, you're not writing anywhere. And and Silas is going, oh, Paul, how are we going to write some Bible if we're in here? This doesn't make any sense. And the jailer says, you guys get down right here. he takes their hands. And he takes their feet. And he puts them in stocks. And if I had to guess, he probably made them kind of tight because the magistrates, his bosses, told him, don't you let these two guys go. If you let these two guys go, we're going to have your head on a platter. So they said, Paul and Silas, you're going to get right here. And they chained their feet down and they chained their hands down and they did all this stuff. So Paul and Silas are sitting there and it's about 1130 at night now. And Paul and Silas are sitting there. They can't move. They can't do anything. And as Paul looks at Silas and said, Paul, I sure wish I hadn't tied my feet down because I know I'm beaten and I know I don't have any clothes on. But, Lord, I feel like dancing." Sin in front of the Lord. Silas looks at Paul and says, yeah, Paul, me too, man. If they hadn't had my hands, uh, tied down right now, I'd be lifting my hands because the Bible says that we lift our heart with our hands and I would just be waving my hands and, and magnifying God and it would just be unbelievable. And while old Silas is trying to lift his hands and maybe he's even telling him a joke about Samson or Goliath or something and everything's just okay with them because they lived their life this way. They weren't playing pity pat with God. They were serious Christians and, and they're sitting there Silas, he begins to lift his hand, and he's kind of old school. And I come from an old school kind of church, and I could see him lifting his hand, and maybe he heard that chain rattle a little bit. And he said, hey, Paul, that thing sounds kind of like a tambourine, man. What say we can't dance? What say we can't lift our hands? But maybe we can just sing in this jail for a little while. And Paul said, well, give me that beat, Silas. Let me see if I can't get something going here. And all of a sudden, Paul starts singing. He says, oh, God, we got beat today. Oh, God, we got whipped today. Oh, God, don't know where my clothes are, but thank you, Jesus. I still got a breath in my lungs. I still got a tap in my foot. I still got a chain that I can jingle with. And throughout my life, I'm going to magnify you if I'm in prison. I'm going to magnify you if I'm in a pit. And I'm going to magnify you on the mountaintop. But while I'm here, I'm going to make sure everybody knows that the God of heaven and earth is who I serve. And no man can take his praise out of my mouth. The Bible says, all the prisoners heard them. Somebody ought to hear you magnify God. Your life should echo the praises of God. Your life should echo the praises of a soon coming king. The Bible says, all the prisoners heard them. Let me tell you a brief story. The lady goes to this church. She's filled with the Spirit of God. One of her good friends who didn't go to this church says to her one day, off the cuff, and I'm going to butcher the story because I don't remember all the details, but y'all just bear with me. She said something about one of her children having a bad report from the doctor. And immediately that New Heights Church, Holy Spirit-filled woman, said, no, 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 we don't receive that in the name of Jesus. We come against that thing in Jesus' name. We don't receive sickness for our children. We receive health from our children. Everything that can be named is underneath the name of Jesus, and we take authority over that right now in Jesus' name. Immediately, that lady said, wait a minute. How are you talking like that? She said, well, the power of God's on the inside of me. That's how I'm talking like that. That lady and her family now come to our church. In the last month, that lady was filled with the Holy Spirit, the way the book of Acts talks about. In the last month, that lady experienced that God said, you can be drunk in the Spirit, but don't be drunk with wine. She experienced being drunk in the Spirit. She said, I didn't even know this stuff was real, y'all. Can I just say this? Let the prisoners hear you because you will set captives free. All the prisoners heard, verse 26, and suddenly, come on somebody, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's hands were loosed. It doesn't say the prisoners prayed, it doesn't say the prisoners sang, but it does say that they were all opened and all loosed. If you'll praise God, you can take your whole family with you. Number two, if you're taking notes, Paul and Silas knew, Psalm said this, God inhabits the praises of his people. It doesn't say he inhabits the complaining of his people. If you find yourself beaten and stripped, Paul still found strength to praise him. If you find yourself beaten and stripped, Paul and Silas still found a way to have a praise and worship session in the middle of a prison. Because they knew where we praise him, he shows up. I'm not saying he doesn't show up when you have your moment. When you're complaining. We all do it. Crystal pulls me out of the ditch every time. We go to Chick-fil-A and I drive through Chick-fil-A and they don't have that peppermint shake yet that they have at the holidays, and I go into a mild state of depression. And I start complaining. And I say, Lord, what happened to the peppermint shake at Chick-fil-A? And Crystal, Paul, and Silas me, She said, Brian, he doesn't inhabit the complaining of his people. He inhabits the praises of his people. So Paul and Silas knew one of the X factors in the kingdom. You praise God, you see God. They praise God in the middle of the prison, and everybody's chains were loosed. And the story's good enough to stop right there. But there's more. The Bible says somehow that God miraculously causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Well, Paul and Silas love God and they're called according to his purpose. So while Paul was in prison with his buddy Silas and they're chained to the stocks, they're figuring out well, God's done so much good in our life; Surely he'll do some more good in our life. We don't know what's going to happen, but something good's going to happen. And all of a sudden an earthquake comes and all of the prisoners begin to have a revival with Paul and Silas and the Bible says that they're all loose and all the doors are open. But the problem is the warden walks in and he's fearful for his life because he was told make absolutely sure you don't lose these two guys and the bible says that the warden the jailer was about to commit suicide he was about to fall on his own sword and paul over there probably teaching some of those prisoners about the good things of god looks over at the warden he says whoa whoa mr jailer man don't kill yourself yet brother listen we're all right here and everything's fine and the jailer looks at paul and silas sees the power of god and sees the other prisoners realizing he's not going to lose his head and says to paul in a in a in a bold way that only somebody who realizes that they are not saved says to him he says Paul what do I have to do to be saved when you praise God when you love God your friends see it. Your circle of influence sees it. Your boss sees it. Your coworker sees it. Your schoolteacher sees it. Everybody in your situation sees it. In the right season, the right time, when God has primed their heart for that moment, they're going to ask you, what do I have to do to be saved? It's in that moment that, that Paul says to him. he says, well, you've got to believe on Jesus. And if you believe on Jesus, you'll be saved. You and your whole house. Let me just tell you, because the devil, he thinks he's slick, but he's a liar and the father of lies. And what he said to the jailer was, you lost every prisoner in the prison and they're going to kill you. But God said, not only did you not lose one, I'm going to save you and your whole family. You see, it's different with God. So now the jailer, the Bible says the same guy who tied Paul and Silas to the stocks. They walk Paul and Silas to his house, the jailer's house. And he doctors their wounds. The very hands that were holding him down are now doctoring his wounds. All things work together for good. So he doctors their wounds, and then the Bible says that they baptize them, their whole family. How beautiful would that be? And the jailer gets word the next day that the magistrates are, are just wanting Paul and Silas out of the city, so, so they, they they wanted to privately let him go. I love Paul for a lot of reasons. This is one of my favorite. He said, I tell you what. The jailer comes and goes, great news, Paul. They want me to let you go. Come on, we'll go out the back door. Paul said, I came in the front door. Paul said... They publicly humiliated me and questioned my God. My God causes an earthquake from heaven to stir the foundation of this prison. You give your life to God, your whole family gets saved, and they want to privately dismiss me. No, thank you, I'll go out the same door I came in. You say if they're going to criticize me publicly, then they will see me publicly walk out. Walk your faith out in public. What if the little lady hadn't rebuked the devil about the little sickness that was trying to come on one of God's babies? What if the person who sowed into your life that refused to let you doubt and have unbelief didn't do it? Refused to be a private Christian only? Because turns out God's not looking down from heaven only on Sunday mornings. He's not just looking from heaven at 10.15 when you can't hardly hold your eyes open. You remember that you haven't prayed today. So at 10.15 p.m., you're holding your head off your pillow just high enough so you won't go to sleep. And you say, oh, God, uh, our Father, which art in heaven, boom, you're asleep. That's not the only time he's wanting to hear your voice. Not the only time he wants to talk to you. He said, you can walk me out the same door you brought me in, Jack. They take him, walk him out, goes and checks on Lydia. How's your family doing? I remember when we baptized you, then I got arrested. That was kind of weird. I know. Doesn't really say it, but I'll bet you went and checked on the young lady who he cast the devil out of, too. That's kind of how Paul was. He was kind of an underdog kind of guy. He was always rooting for the underdog. There's a whole book of the Bible that's nothing but dedicated to a guy. He says, listen, I know this young man did you wrong, but whatever this young man did wrong, I want you to lay it to my account. That's the kind of guy Paul was. Number three, last point. Keep your focus on kingdom Opportunities and kingdom opportunities will show up. Paul should not have had a revival in a prison. Paul should not have gotten a whole family saved. But Paul never stopped looking. He never stopped focusing on what God might could do. So in the middle of a prison, the biggest mistake that the jailer made and the greatest thing that ever happened to him is he forgot to tape Paul's mouth shut. Because though he found himself chained with his hands and his feet, he was still able to praise God with his mouth. Can I just say this morning, be encouraged. If you're going through something, you're not alone. If you're going through a hardship or a trial, you're not even remotely alone. Five times, 39 lashes. Three times shipwrecked. One time overnight at sea. One time left stoned for dead. There, there's really no comparison when you compare our life to that kind of life. But at the same time, Paul can't choose for you the life you ought to live any more than I can choose for you or you can choose for me. What God's looking for is real simple. He wants somebody who will praise him in the morning, praise him in the noontime, and praise him when the sun goes down. He's wanting somebody who will praise Him in the pit. Praise Him in the prison. Praise Him in the palace. Praise Him on land. Praise Him on a boat. Praise Him in a drought. Praise Him in a flood. I think the earthquake's coming right now. He's looking for people who will praise Him almost done but God God has an outpouring coming for the body of Christ this week's been a really powerful week for me I believe God showed me a vision of what's to come but one of the things there's places that will be like a like a funnel for the outpouring and it's because God inhabits the praises of his people. It's because there's still some who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. There's still some who believe in the power of God. This morning at the early service, we had a brother stand up who, who he had cancer eight months ago. This past week, he had his last checkup. He stood up right there and said he's 100% cancer free. God's in the miracle working business. But He's looking for those who stand by faith. And say, I'm not giving one inch. And listen to me, when you find yourself giving that inch, get up anyway. The Bible says the righteous fall a thousand times. But listen to me, they get back up. The Ten Commandments were not to prove. (laughs) They were not so that you would, you know, uh, do everything exactly right. They were to prove that you can't. Moses couldn't even keep the Ten Commandments. He got to carry them around. That doesn't mean we press, we don't press towards the mark. We do. Don't play around with sin. But when we find ourselves in the prison, find something to praise God about. And if you can't find anything in the natural, let's just remember that we don't have to go to hell with the devil. Say la. Let's pray.